Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the pod. Today we're going to be chatting about boundaries, such an important topic. We're going to talk about what they look like in different aspects of our businesses and your businesses, having hard conversations and so much more. But before we dive into today's episode, let's check in with Morgan. Morgan, hi, what were your highs and lows this week? Hello. My high of this week was I have had the most social past seven days that I've had in a very long time. And it has just left me with such a full bucket. Like I just feel like I've gotten to connect with so many different communities, with so many different people in my social life and my family and business went to Dancing with the Stars last week. They're like live tour, which was incredible. Helped some friends move, had my mom's birthday. It's the Houston rodeo. It's rodeo season. So I got to pull my cowgirl boots out of the back of my closet. Just a lot of social interactions that have just left me feeling energized. And yeah, my heart's just so full from it all. Dude, I've been watching you on Instagram and all the things you're doing. And I'm like, oh my God, I want a deep fried Oreo. Oh my God. That's so fun. Like, yeah, you a busy lady. The Houston rodeo is known for basically being able to fry any sort of food. It's heaven. I'm going back tomorrow and uh, me and my friend Hannah are taking some people who just moved to Texas for the first time and have never been to anything like a rodeo. And we're taking them to the like the grounds. And my goal is to get them to eat as many fried foods as possible. I love that being your goal. That's going to be so fun. I don't know what it is about a deep fried Oreo. It's like, if you've never had it, folks, when it gets deep fried, it like makes it soft. Yes. It's like eating cake. I don't know. It's a, it's a lovely experience. It's so good. Yeah. I had deep fried or I was at the road on Monday. I had deep fried Oreos and corn dogs and beer. And I was like, this is like the best. (laughs) That is totally like fair foods, rodeo foods. We love it. That's awesome. That sounds really life-giving. It was that being said, I thought I was like, I'm back at it. I'm being so social. This is so great. It hit me yesterday. I was exhausted by the end of the day. And I was like, noted, went a little too hard being social. Wouldn't take any of it back. Very thankful that happened. But I am also very excited that I have no plans after this recording and we'll get to just hang out. So that was a little bit of a low. My other low was I've had the greatest dietetic intern with me the past four weeks. 
I haven't had an in-person intern in a really long time. And most of them are virtual, which like shout out to all my interns. I love all of y'all. Y'all have all been incredible, but there's just something about having an intern in person that is just so good. And like, she's got to help with the conference and she's just been, she's just such a go-getter and like everything, like I'll like toss something out and then she'll like present a Google doc to me the next day and be like, this is what I took away from that conversation. And I was like, you're amazing. Today's her last day. So I'm no. sad that she's leaving. Oh my God. That is like my favorite kind of person mm-hmm. of you plant a seed or you share something. Maybe you even direct them to what you want. And then they're like, here you go. I've presented, I've created the thing. And you're like, holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Incredible. So I'm going to miss her. Oh yeah. gosh. I haven't had an intern in so long. Anytime we've had interns at our practice, what we typically at nurse Colorado, my, um, dietitian eating disorder, nutrition group practice, we typically do it with the intention of them joining the practice. So we do Mm -hmm. actually an apprenticeship where people come dabble in the work a little bit. And then we decide if we move forward with employment, I haven't had just an intern who's still in school, Mm -hmm. um, without that happening. I'm curious what that has been like for you and what you like about interns and as I'm saying this, I'm like, man, we could probably do a whole uh, episode on it, but what's like your 30 seconds reason you love interns and why you take them on? That's a great question. I think most of it is so many interns want to learn about the eating disorder space, which I think is really great. And there's also a lot of interns that want to learn about entrepreneurship. And so I'm contracted with two internships here in Texas, but I'm open to pretty much signing a contract with whoever. And I tell the internship directors, I'm like, if you have someone who's interested in eating disorders and interested in entrepreneurship, send them my way. If they're not, we're probably not going to be a good fit, especially if it's a virtual rotation, because so much of what I do is virtual. I love the mentorship piece of it like selfishly for me. I mean, I think interns get quite a bit out of it too, but like I get a lot out of it. Like I just love being able to connect with dietetic interns. I also love that it's exposing them to things outside of the stereotypical clinical food service community rotations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, gosh, I'm thinking back to when I was a student and how awesome that experience would have been. Yeah. So just getting to provide that new experience. So yeah. Love having interns. I don't take them on too frequently. Um, I usually have maybe like three a semester and they're with me for like two to six weeks. But anyhow, what were your highs and lows of the week? What were my highs and lows? It's been a really busy week. Um, my highs this week were, I've been having a lot of really good and hard conversations, which ties into our topic today nicely with my business coaching clients around things they're going through at their practices and um, shifts and changes that need to happen. And also just the excitement and hope that they bring and watching people build badass places for people to get treatment and just getting to see entrepreneurs do their thing gives me so much life and getting to be a part of that is such a huge privilege. It fills my cup so, so much. I had I think seven business coaching clients this week. And I I try to stay under eight because I just don't have the time, but it was a pretty full week with business coaching. And every session I had, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I'm so fucking proud of these people doing something different and taking risks. And it, it always brings me back to when I first started my group practice. 
gosh, at this point, three years ago and watching them go through what I went through and knowing where they can get to and how good it feels. I'm just like, oh, I can't wait for you to do this. And I'm, I'm in it. I'm here with you. And I think we feel that a lot for our eating disorder clients, right? Of, Ooh, I see what you're going through. Maybe you've been there as a clinician and it gets better. Just keep going. Oh, that's amazing. I love the week's or just having coaching sessions where you can like see the needle moving. Oh my gosh. So life-giving. They're so lucky to have you as their business coach. Thank you. You know, it's, I've been thinking about a lot is, um, before I started business coaching, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I thought it was going to be very like do this step and then you do this step and you do this step, which was very naive of me. And logically I know better. It's very much relational and working through group practice owner stuff that comes up when trying to build these things and in their react, not reactions, interactions with different people. So that's been really interesting to support in that way versus just here's your 10 steps to build your group practice, which as I'm saying it out loud, like, duh, Hannah, makes sense that it wouldn't just be that. (laughs) Yeah. And my low this week is we have a really wonderful dietitian leaving our practice. Today was her last day. Um, she's just going to try on something different, go back home, work at a treatment center. So I, I wanted to share that without sharing too much about this person because it's not my stuff to tell, but on the side of being a group practice owner and helping someone off board from your practice, I feel really proud of how I handled it and supported this person, how my team handled it and supported this person and how this person was so respectful and did everything to wrap up what they needed to and got all their clients connected with new clinicians. And it was a really good experience. I know a lot of folks have fears of people leaving and feel like it can crush their business. And I, I wanted to share this too, to just say like, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And every single person at your practice is going to leave one day, including you. That is my soapbox today. Oh, that's so sad that she's leaving, but it sounds like it all went like the best way possible, which like, you know, ties again, ties into what we're talking about today, right? Of as an entrepreneur, like you're in charge of a lot of tough decisions, tough conversations. Like you're the one having to navigate all of that. And that's not the like highlight reel that's usually presented with entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, Whenever, I mean, whenever you start a business, like you don't, that's not where you, what you immediately think of, of like, oh my God, I'm starting a business for the first time. I'm going to have to say goodbye to someone someday. Like, so it's just like one of those things that, that comes up and can sometimes catch you by surprise. So. Absolutely. I feel like we're going to have to record a whole podcast episode on employees leaving and talking about that because I've had experiences where I didn't show up in the way that's in alignment with my values, just to be fully transparent. Like I was kind of an asshole and it was coming from a fear-based place. And so that's what was really lovely about this time is I felt like I was the leader that I needed to be for myself, for everybody else and the person leaving. Because at the end of the day, even if it's upsetting, even if it's hard, your reaction to the situation, if it is a, I'm I'm even going to say an inappropriate reaction where you feel anger and passive aggressiveness and whatever towards somebody, 
that's not going to help the situation. They're not going to be like, oh my gosh, ah, yes, I've had a revelation. I should stay at your practice. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't add anything productive or helpful, even though those feelings are valid, mm-hmm. but feel them on your own time, feel them in therapy. Yeah. Adding that to the list as well, because that that's it, it, it's tough. It's no one teaches you how to go through kind of these like soft skills of entrepreneurship, right? Like yeah. there's the hard skills of like, this is how I create my Google workspace. This is how I sign an office lease. No one talks about like the deep emotional stuff that comes with running a business. So um, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. Absolutely. That's what we're here to do. Showing up hundred percent all the time. Yep. And speaking of showing up in hard conversations and things that have been going on this week, we want to take a moment to acknowledge some things that have been going on in the Hayes community and some harm that's being done and just doing a little bit of reflection. We we are going to keep it tight here because we want to be really thoughtful about how we move forward and how we are doing the least amount of harm and being the most helpful that we can. So without further ado, Morgan, you want to fill us in a little bit about what's been going on in the Hayes space this week? Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually the first thing Hannah and I talked about today before we we hit record. Um, Definitely a joint low for both of us this week of just of navigating everything that's going on, um, which is that uh, Lindo Bacon has been harmful towards the weight inclusive Hayes community, not owning their privilege whenever it comes to being a thin person in the weight inclusive Hayes aligned space. Um, there was one clinician in particular who, uh, was very vulnerable and shared some exchanges that they had with Lindo, um, as well as a response from ASDA, uh, who is the trademark owner of health at every size and Hayes. And there's still some information coming out. It's all pretty new and fresh as we're, we're talking about this, but just owner lack of ownership towards causing harm in a space where fat people's voices are not being heard and marginalized folks are not getting the space that they need in order to acknowledge or in order to share their own lived experience with it. Absolutely. That was a beautiful summary. Um, Anything you'd add? I think what I would add is there were two um, particular interactions that came out from Mikey and Lindley, I believe is how you say their names. And we'll link all of this in the show notes where they were so generous with their time and their energy and their vulnerability and sharing their experience. And and so I want to plug them because they're both really amazing humans and just so so eloquent with their words and naming the issues going on. And so if you can give money, support their work, that would be awesome. They both have Patreons and um, anything you can do to support the cause. I think one of the main things is having these conversations and reflecting on all of our own spaces that we're taking up and how to be thoughtful and give credit where it's due and lift people up where it's due. Um, Because the last thing we need is more thin white people talking about haze and taking credit for it. Like we should all be practicing from this paradigm. It's vital. It's important. 
and it's awesome. And to be the face of something with a lot of unearned privilege is just fucking ridiculous. I'm mad. You know what? Thanks for specifically plugging Mikey and Lindley because their work is incredible and and so thankful for the way that they have shown up and and brought light to everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, And I know Mikey in particular has some action items for everyone on their Instagram. So we'll link their Instagram as well in how you can help bring awareness to this issue and hold Lindo accountable. And that's a, a big thing we've been talking about this week is accountability. And we want to acknowledge our own accountability that's needed. And yeah, I want to, I want to hand it over to Morgan for a second, just to talk about our experience of accountability this week. Yeah. So we were lovingly called in by an incredible clinician um, via Instagram um, who just reached out and let us know that me in particular missed the mark on one of our recent episodes on episode 12 um, about the thin privilege that I have when it comes to being able to work while traveling. And Hannah and I were just chatting about it. And while we can't go back and edit the episodes once they're launched, we definitely wanted to create a space where we talk about where we missed the mark because we're not always going to get it right. And we definitely want accountability around that, um, especially when we have such an incredible community that is willing to call us in whenever we don't get everything right. Um, and so on our Instagram, we have an accountability highlights now. And so anytime that we need to clarify anything or own up whenever we didn't get something right, we would just want that to be a space that we can put it and that everyone can go learn from our mistakes first and foremost, but also just like own potential harm that we have done. Cause that's never our goal in any of the episodes that we record. Yeah. Our goal is to be here to support entrepreneurs in the weight inclusive space, give this free content and be able to help people build up their businesses. And my hopes is that folks from all walks of life are listening and can utilize this information. I know one thing that Morgan and I want to do is be really thoughtful and it's hard because there is this sense of urgency we feel, which we know is rooted in white supremacy around like, okay, we need to make sure as we're building out our weight inclusive innovators work that we are being intersectional and that we are um, uplifting folks with different identities than us. And we know we have a ton of unearned privilege and like our existence, this is a weird thing to say, but our existence is problematic in a lot of ways. Like we understand that and we are going to do our due diligence and we're going to fuck shit up and we're going to repair because we really care about being in this space, supporting people in this space and helping people build their businesses in this space that aren't just thin white people. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for um, sharing that because I mean, you nailed it. That's it's, it's such a tough intersection to hold of like wanting to provide education around businesses and also recognizing our privilege in doing that, especially with the title, like weight inclusive innovators. Um, I mean, that's very much in the title and we hold a lot of privilege around our body size, um, within that. And so just wanted to, yeah, acknowledge that as well. Absolutely. And because we're dedicated to this for the long term, we want to be intentional about not being performative and being really thoughtful in having 
these things be rooted in social justice and lifting people up. So it's going to be a long-term thing, you know, and we're going to do some consulting with folks to make sure we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's as soon as we can. Um, I do want to plug Whitney Trotter and Shelby Gordon. They do an amazing um, training on anti-racism and how that applies to clinical work. They're both incredible humans and we'll definitely link them in the show notes. Highly recommend taking their trainings. I'm not sure if they're offering any right now, but that was totally transformative for me. And we talked a lot about white fragility and white saviorism and all of those things are such a hard, hard to navigate in this space because we're all, I don't want to say victim to that, but we all do those things and we don't even know it. And that's hard. It is. It is very hard. Um, I will actually have to check that out. I have not looked at that. So definitely going to go look into that. All this to say, this is not the last time you're going to be hearing about all of this from Hannah and I, her and I are in, are, are continuing to talk about it. Um, and as she mentioned, we do want to be really thoughtful with the, the information we put out and how we're navigating things moving forward. Um, so you will for sure be hearing more about this, but are you ready to dive into today's episode? Yes. But first a word from our sponsor. Hey, Weight Inclusive Innovators, Heather Kaplan here, founder of Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics, also known as WIND. WIND is a community for weight inclusive providers, students, and interns. We're hosting our annual virtual spring conference, April 28th to 30th, and would love to see you there. Are you frustrated by the Academy's recently proposed guidelines for adult weight management? Looking for a space to connect with fellow weight inclusive providers and get weight inclusive continuing education? If that sounds like you, I'm right there with you. Our virtual spring symposium is open for registration, and you'll save $100 by registering before March 25th. Join us for three full days of continuing education, connection, and group discussions. Our featured topics for this WIND spring symposium include navigating your client's weight loss goals through a weight-inclusive lens, weight-inclusive interventions for PCOS, a research review on weight-inclusive care for clients post-bariatric surgery and the connection between food insecurity and eating disorders, and a unique perspective on the food access pyramid and how you can implement that in your client care. Go to weightinclusivenutrition.teachable.com or email us weightinclusivenutrition at gmail.com for more information and how to register for the spring symposium happening April 28th through 30th. Today, we are going to be talking about boundaries and having hard conversations in our businesses, with our clients, with our team members, and everything that comes along with being a weight-inclusive clinician and business owner. As we were reflecting on the concept of boundaries and hard conversations, we felt like they were inextricable because a lot of the time, the way we find our boundaries is by them being pushed or us not realizing what we need or um, falling into the traps of people pleasing and things like that. So going through that and having your boundaries cross leads to having to have hard conversations to reinstate those boundaries. And so as we were talking about all the things that come with boundaries, we're probably going to miss some things because there's so much, but I think boundaries are the root of how we have successful, productive, values-driven businesses because there's just, there's just so much there with boundaries. 
There's so much there with boundaries. They are so important. As clinicians, we talk to our clients all the time about setting boundaries to protect themselves. And sometimes we forget that those have to be applied to us in our businesses as well in order to, uh, yeah, like you said, live a values-based life, show up in the best way possible, make sure we're not overextending ourselves. Um, Because you, what's the phrase? You can't, I feel like we always say phrases and I always get it wrong. You can't pour from an empty bucket. That's what I'm looking for. I think it's cup, but I like bucket (laughs) because if it's coffee, then you get more coffee in a bucket than a cup. So I don't know where bucket came from. Quotas on that. Quotas (laughs) on it. It's going to be on our merch. (laughs) (laughs) I literally have no idea where bucket came from. I have nothing around me that resembles a bucket. I think maybe because we were talking about like filling your cup or like filling your bucket. Oh, filling your bucket. You're okay. Yep. You're right. That's it. We'll (laughs) say this. You can't pour from an empty coffee mug. There you go. You know what's (laughs) shitty about boundaries? What? Sometimes it feels like shit to do them. Yes. Like Like, awful. yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's hard and stops us from implementing them or having hard conversations because it feels so bad. Are you someone who avoids conflict or leans into conflict? I love me some conflict. (laughs) Is that weird? No, not weird. But this is what I think is so interesting about us. So you're a seven wing six. Mm -hmm. I'm a seven wing eight. But in terms of like personal stuff, hate conflict. I can handle it with business related things but I am very conflict averse. Mm. So I, but I feel like that's opposite. Like, I feel like it's usually like sixes that are conflict averse and eights that are like, give me the conflict. Totally. Okay. The interesting thing about sixes, which Mm. PS to everybody, please look up the Enneagram, please take your test. It is transformative in understanding yourself, using it as a compassion tool. Um, if you go to my website, valuesdrivengroup.com, I have a free download that's about Enneagram and leadership and how your number will influence leadership in business. So that can be a starting place for how it applies in all of here. But, um, just so you guys know, Morgan's a seven wing eight, seven's the main number wing eight means that Morgan has traits that, um, are strongly resonant with eights and I'm a seven wing six. So seven's my main number. I resonate a lot with a six. Sixes can be counterphobic, which that means they're basically the opposite of a six. So sixes can either be very avoidance of conflict or they're very into conflict. And I feel like I am, I'm intense sometimes I feel because, well, one, I like intensity. I like solving things. I like working together. I like hearing people's thoughts. And even if the thought isn't something I agree with, or it's kind of creating friction, like I want to hear it and I want to do my due diligence to reflect on what is mine and what I need to do different and how my feelings and how my boundaries were not instated or need to be instated, or I need to respect somebody else's boundaries. Like Mm. it's, I don't know. I just think the end result is better when you deal with the conflict versus avoid, 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 because you can't avoid it forever. It's not going to go away. It's hundred percent accurate. (laughs) It's not going to go away. 
Yeah. I, and maybe it's just that I, I like to sit with things longer and like process them a little bit more, but then I feel like if I wait too long, then I'm like, Oh, this doesn't really matter anymore. Like the time has passed for me to say something. And so Mm -hmm. that's where that like avoidance comes from. Which I think that can be helpful in some ways, right? Totally. It's like picking your battles of, is this something really important that I need to address or is addressing it because it's my own shit and it'll make me feel better, but it's not really going to add anything. Is that, is it worth bringing up? That's how I feel anyway. And like when I think about what I choose to address and set boundaries around. And I feel like it is totally dependent on the person or thing we're interacting with. Like I know my boundaries for me look very different from like work versus friendship versus family versus like personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just changes with all of that. And, and it's so individualized. Before we dive into too much about this though, you found a really great definition of a boundary. You want to share that? I do. And we will link the webpage in the show notes. So um, this is from the website, livewellwithsharonmartin.com. And I was doing a little bit of research and it was hard to find a definition for boundaries. Actually, I was finding a lot of like, it's a physical barrier between things, which is fine and true. But this one was a little more like woo woo relational, which we like. So the definition is an imaginary line that separates me from you. It separates your physical space, your feelings, needs, and responsibilities from others. Your boundaries also tell other people how they can treat you, what's acceptable and what is not. Without boundaries, people may take advantage of you because you haven't set limits on how you expect to be treated. As I was reading that, I actually thought of um, the golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated when actually, if we're thinking about boundaries, it's treat others how they want to be treated. Snaps to that. That's absolutely right. Because we don't get to determine what other people's boundaries are. And we Mm -hmm. have to be respectful of the boundaries that other people set with us because we would want someone to be respectful of our own boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing, which you kind of, this was integrated into the definition you gave, but the other definition you found that I also really like is where one thing ends and another begins. Being able to set your own boundary. And this is where I think with that first definition, like without boundaries, people can take advantage of you. If you don't have a boundary, nothing's ever going to end and begin. Like it's just going to, it's just going to be there. And so having that boundary of like, this is my level of tolerance with specific things has a definitive ending. Like this is where it stops and doesn't allow people to go past that. I like that you said level of tolerance. I think that's how you said it. Yeah. Um, because the word I was thinking of is limitations, mm. which I think goes along with boundaries and tolerance. We all have limitations in many different ways around what capacities we have, what we're capable of in any given moment. And that is a limitation, whether we want it to be or not. And a boundary I feel like is set like we are setting a boundary, a limitation is a natural boundary of like, nope, I just literally can't do this anymore after this time. Or, um, I have done enough of this now and I've learned my limitation. And so this boundary is being set because I can't go further anymore in this. Yeah. It's almost like you have to like 
you have to know your own limits and then like set the boundary before that, before you like get pushed up against that like max capacity that you have in whatever realm it is. Mm-hmm. I know for me, one of the boundaries that I am always working on is managing other people's sense of urgency. And I think that ties into people pleasing because mm-hmm. when someone asks me to do something, whether that's like through text, through email, whatever that looks like, especially if it's related to business, I want to like immediately respond, immediately get it done because I I don't want the other person like waiting on me. And that's a that's a really hard boundary I've had to learn as an adult. The phrase that I now repeat to myself is someone's urgency is not your emergency. Whoa. I like that. Because it feels like it sometimes feels like an emergency, especially if they are like, this is urgent. And I'm like, I get that. And like, I also have to set a boundary around it. Like there are things where like someone else's urgency, like does need to be my emergency. And I get to make that deciding factor, but it's also like, I get to recognize like what is a true urgency, emergency situation. Yeah. Especially when it involves you. And like we talked about earlier, sense of urgency is rooted in white supremacy and because it pushes boundaries and because it creates a power dynamic of this is really urgent to me. So I'm telling you that you need to help me with this, or you need to do this for me. And I know, I mean, I have been someone who creates a sense of urgency in other people and there's a time and a place for that, but we need to really sift of what is actually urgent because it can't just be urgent because we want it done. That's not how the world works, especially involving other people and respecting their boundaries. I like that you brought up the people pleasing piece because I think this is the ultimate boundary clinicians struggle with, business owners struggle with, people who employ people struggle with. And gosh, if it isn't all rooted in our childhoods, I don't know where it came from. (laughs) I have, yeah, I have no idea where, like where else it would come from of this idea that, this idea that like we're put on this earth to give to others constantly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. being made like I know the a feeling that came up for me whenever I was really in a place of challenging people pleasing was feeling selfish. Mm. Like if I held that boundary against someone and I was like, ooh, like I feel selfish. This feels so wrong. I now own that selfishness because cheers to boundaries. Yay, cheers to boundaries. I I don't want to say I like the word selfish. But I really lean into that word because we have to be selfish. We have to take care of ourselves. And selfish doesn't have to mean at the expense of someone else. I think that's what we associate it with. Mm-hmm. But selfish can be, I'm also choosing to respect my own boundaries. And I have agency in that. Within setting boundaries, there's just so much to consider. And first and foremost is like you because you're the one you have to take care of yourself. No one else is looking out for you. You have to look out for you. Mm -hmm. You also have to keep in mind like the person or situation involved, the circumstances for which this boundary, which what different boundaries are being set 
and kind of what we mentioned earlier, like our, our own limitations around what the threshold that we're able to handle. Mm-hmm. And as we're looking at these things, the person, the situation, the circumstances, the limitations, this is where the hard conversations come in because often we set boundaries together as humans, or that would be the most repairing, honoring way of here's my boundaries. Here's your boundaries. Here's the boundaries of the situation that just are what they are. And how do we respect all of this and navigate it in the best way, even if it's maybe not what our quote unquote ideal situation would be for whatever reason. Whenever I experience this, cause I, 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 you nailed it. Like boundaries are going to get pushed, which then lead to hard conversations. So it's like, a, it, it's a very like retroactive process. And I know that for me, and this might be part of me being a little bit more conflict averse, if something pushes my boundary, rubs me the wrong way, I notice like physical sensations related to something happening to me or around me. I usually always give a 24 hour like waiting period before I respond because there's, I mean, there's so many things that impact our lives. And if something were to like push my boundary, that reflection of like, was this because I didn't set the boundary? Was this because there's things happening in other parts of my life, not related to this boundary at all that are like making it seem more intense or worse than it actually is. And so just being able to process through that, which is really interesting because I give myself 24 hour waiting period, but whenever someone initiates a hard conversation with me, I'm very much a like quick reacting. I want to fix it. Let's resolve things quickly, which I've never really put, I've never really put that together until now, where it's like, if I'm the one wanting to initiate that hard conversation, I give myself a lot of time. But then if someone were to come to me and be like, what do we need to do to like resolve this right now? Instead of being like, thank you for sharing that with me. Let me think on it. Mm-hmm. What about you? How do you respond? I was just sitting here reflecting on that. I relate a lot to to what you said just around like, if I'm the one who cross someone's boundary, I want to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like I I don't want space. I want to, I want us to be okay right now. I think that's shows up a lot in my personal life in business because I've seen the detriment of not having boundaries and not having space. I feel pretty good. And, And it hasn't always been this way. Like I can think of conversations I've had within, um, teams that work with me to where we've had really hard conversations and I've created that sense of urgency. We need to fix this now. And the person was like, no, I need space. And I was like, that was hard for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and it turned out for the best for everybody involved. And it really showed me like, okay, space doesn't mean that something's going to go catastrophic and shit hit the fan. It actually really improved our relationship and we worked through it. As the person who is on the receiving end of a hard conversation, I think there's, maybe this is like what we're conditioned to believe and it's not actually this way, but I I have a, a similar reaction to you where I'm like, if there's space, it means that something catastrophic is going to happen. And that is so uncomfortable to sit in. But I think that also just goes back to like 
that feels really uncomfortable for me to sit in. And that's not my boundary to push up against, right? Like I have to, I have to figure out how to deal with my own shit of being uncomfortable with space. Like that's on me. That's not on the person that's initiating the hard conversation. Mm -hmm. These moments are such moments of growth in us. If we Mm -hmm. can tolerate the discomfort and trust that creating the space, honoring boundaries, trying to figure out what those are, even if it means someone can have a reaction to it is so much self-growth. And I don't, it just changes your view of the world and improves your life. I think it absolutely does. And I'm, I'm sitting here saying like, yes to all of this stuff. I also want to own the fact that like setting boundaries and initiating hard conversations is so fucking hard sometimes. Like it sucks. (laughs) It sucks. And so like, I don't want to sit here and talk about like boundaries and initiating card conversations as if I'm like really great at it because I'm not, it's something that I'm constantly learning all the time. One thing that I have found to be helpful is I I'm so thankful for having such great friends and community where I have a few trusted people in my life where I'm like a verbal processor. And so something so uncomfortable, like I actually have friends that will like role play out conversations with me to help me, help me respond or help me approach a hard conversation or set a boundary in a respectful way. Because I think this is where sometimes my eight wing can come out where it's really brash and harsh and that gives the wrong message too. And so it takes a lot of concentration and dedicated time towards this in order for me to like feel remotely okay and and good, I guess, for lack of better words, and setting a boundary or initiating a hard conversation. I appreciate you naming that this is not easy for you. And I am with you in that sentiment. Um, we are not boundary experts as in <laughs> we hold all the boundaries all the time and we respect people's boundaries all the time. <laughs> Because we're humans. We're humans. That's not, yeah, that, that would feels unrealistic for that expectation to be there. Absolutely. And a lot of the time we quote unquote work things out on each other and we figure out a boundary is needed and we couldn't have known unless that situation happened. So yes, we, we cross our own boundaries. We've crossed people's boundaries. Like that we all have. Um, I really like what you said about your friends and doing role-playing because if they're really good friends, they're going to call you out gently on your bullshit too. Mm -hmm. And they're not just going to be like, okay, so this situation happened. I got your back in that. Everything you said was perfect. You did no wrong. You're an angel, whatever. Um, They're going to be like, hey, actually I can kind of see what the other person was going through. And here's how, if it's helpful since we're role-playing, like here's Mm -hmm. how I might think about it if I were you. Yes. And I, I, yes, I'm very thankful for that. I feel like if I had friends that were like behind me a hundred percent of the time would not be good. (laughs) No, all my, all my friends that I uh, am able to show up in that space with are really great validators and like to show alternative perspectives, which I'm so thankful for because getting, like you said, growth happens when you're uncomfortable, getting to be uncomfortable in a role-playing situation and being called out by people that have like, I know like will love me wholeheartedly, even as I'm like navigating tough conversations feels way less uncomfortable than like 
going into a situation kind of blind without having talked through a situation, without having talked through any of that before. Absolutely. And when you're able to have that time to practice and that creates space, right? Because Mm -hmm. the time of an event or where a boundary needs to be set or whatever's happening, being able to have the time to role play and talk it through and process it before coming together with the person, the situation to set the boundary, it allows for everybody's nervous system to regulate a little bit for everyone to, um, kind of come to a place of being present and can work on responding instead of reacting. If something happens where we figure out a boundary needs to be placed and we're just in it right in that moment when things are heated, we often have a reaction, which I know I always regret. Mm -hmm. I always regret when somebody gets too close to me when I'm driving and I break check them. (laughs) Like, yeah, it never feels good. I leave the situation feeling worse, even though they were riding my ass. I'm like, why did Hannah, why? Like, that's such a reaction when mm-hmm. really the boundary is like, okay, this person needs to get off my ass. I can't communicate that to them. I'm going to remove myself, get in a different lane. Mm-hmm. That was a really great example for responding versus reacting. Thanks. It happened earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh on your mind. <laughs> yep. Oh man. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think just another piece of, of having hard conversations, and this is one that I also have to work on a lot. And I imagine you probably are in a similar situation where, you know, we're doing coaching, we're providing services, we're hosting things. And part of that is getting feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> all of the feedback. And we actually touched, we, we talked about this on the last, I think it was our last podcast episode where it's like, you could get 99 positive praises and that one piece of constructive feedback or negative feedback is what's going to stand out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and having hard conversations, you're going to have to be open to receiving feedback. Doesn't mean you have to accept all the feedback, but you at least have to be open to it and validate that someone else, validate someone else's lived experience of what that feedback brought up for them. How do you personally feel about feedback in the business space? Woo, that's a great question. Whenever I have really good uh, experiences with clients, I love sending them my feedback form because I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to hear what our work was like together. There's also questions on that feedback form that are like, what could I have done better? How would you shift this? What feedback do you have? I always want to make an ex- the experience of going through design work as best as possible for someone. And so I've gotten better at accepting feedback over the last few years. I think it's something that you just naturally have to start accepting when you when you own your own business, because you're not always going to get positive hunky dory feedback. I have had to learn to sit with it mm. and just, just know that that's someone's experience and that, and, and almost feeling thankful that someone felt comfortable enough to share that feedback with me and that they trusted that I would respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. And when people give us that constructive feedback, even if it's hard to hear, they're invested in helping us do better in the future too, which is just so gracious. Absolutely. How do you respond to feedback? I love feedback. 
I, (laughs) over the years, I have found that if there isn't any feedback, something's off. And I, I love a lot of the reasons we just talked about for feedback of people trust us to be able to hold it. They want us to do better. Um, having feedback and taking action on that is only going to improve everybody's experience of whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. And it helps you grow. If you are told constantly, like everything's great, you're great, et cetera, then nothing changes, nothing grows, nothing improves. And when we're interacting with other humans, there's always got to be some feedback or always something we can do better. And I, I, I like to specifically, when I talk about doing things better, I think about doing things better for the greater good of everybody and making our lives more peaceful versus doing something better to be the best. Cause like, I don't care about that. I'm a B plus. Like I told you guys, Yeah, I want everybody to be satisfied and content and feel good about what's going on in interactions with me or working for me or working with me whatever's going on. So love feedback, very open to it. Sometimes I like when it's hard feedback because it, it challenges me. Yeah. One of my, one of my top values is growth. And it's always like growth doesn't happen when you're comfortable. Mm. And anytime I get negative feedback, I just have to remind myself of that, of like, you're growing. You're uncomfortable right now and you're, and you're growing. I think the other piece of this, I was trying to find, I put together a whole flow chart because there was one point where I was getting, I got negative feedback on something and it hit me in the core. Like it was, I took it to heart, like took it to heart so strongly. And I ended up after, after talking it through with my therapist, actually put together a negative feedback like mind map kind of. And one of the things was like, you don't have to accept everyone's feedback. And one of the questions asked was, is their feedback in alignment with your values? And Mm -hmm. that's like one of the most helpful things that I have gotten. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to be like, "Mm, no, thanks. Don't tell me what you think. Cause like you, I do want to be respectful and, and Um, I do enjoy hearing other people's feedback, but in terms of making sure I keep a sense of myself and making decisions aligned with myself, I do have to ask like, you know, thanks. I'm appreciative of this feedback. Is it in alignment with my goals, with my values? Is this feedback that I'm going to like accept and make changes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's feedback around like the way I said something was harmful or upset with someone. I'm like, yes. Oh my God, please tell me I want to, I want to do right by people. If it's, you don't like my hair color. I don't give a fuck about your feedback. (laughs) Right. But it's like, those are all part of hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Like if someone came up to me and they're like, I hate your hair. Like I wouldn't know how to respond in the moment. I have no clue how I would respond in the moment. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, having to be aware of all of the boundaries, all of the hard conversations that could possibly come, um, which will kind of guide us into these look really different with client relationships, team member relationships, and also within our businesses. Absolutely. So I think we have a whole host of different kinds of folks listening to the pod. 
Um, I know a lot of them are clinicians who serve clients, which we love. And so we wanted to discuss the boundaries we see folks struggle with in, in the space of working with clients. Um, some have involved the clients, some are our own boundaries, and these are pulled from our experiences and what we also work with people on. So want to hit it? Yeah. So just reflecting on the time that I was working with clients, this was my first, I mean, that was my first job out of college. And so kind of my first professional setting as well. And I know one of the hardest boundaries for me to hold that honestly, I didn't really hold was timeliness. And I did this with a scarcity mindset. And so what I mean by that is I worked at a higher level of care. Everything felt a little more urgent because it was a higher level of care. And I felt like I had to be on 24 seven. I think part of that was I was at a residential facility where our clients were there 24 seven. And so I was like constantly monitoring emails and whatever communication. It wasn't Slack, Google meets. No, I don't know, whatever it was, um, where we communicated and this was more of like a personal boundary than like a boundary with a client, but had to, had to set a boundary around like not checking my email and responding to emails incessantly at all hours of the day. Cause then that just, that set the tone that I would be available for everything at all hours of the day. But that was a really hard boundary to set one, because I cared about my clients. So I'm going to name that, but also because I, was like new. I was a new dietitian. I wanted to be accessible. I loved the work that I did. And so the idea of telling someone like, no, I can't respond to that until tomorrow morning made me feel like I was going to be like a bad employee. Mm. Mm. Gosh, emails is like one of the biggest boundary bullshit things we experience in so many different ways. I still fall into the trap of checking emails at inappropriate times. I'm like, And sometimes like we talked about in the social media episode, I think it was, it feels like repetitive and addictive and it's like a cycle. And it's one of the reasons why boundaries with email specifically, and we'll talk about client communication in general is we need time to have the separation of work and life. And if we're always on, because we're checking our emails after hours, there's no like come down from the day that is burnout central. Burnout central. Yes. Email boundaries, important communication boundaries that kind of goes along with emails is important. So like Morgan was saying, we can't be available all day, every day for folks. One of the boundaries with communication that we have at my practice is we don't let people text us. And that is just to maintain privacy, to maintain personal work boundaries and to not be on all the time. Do you have like a Google voice or anything where they can send you messages that way? So we recently switched to simple practice and Mm -hmm. there's a way that clients can message us through there. Clients can email us. Clients can call the office phone, which we use Spruce for our um, phone line. Gotcha. Google Google voice is a great option. And I think it's pretty low cost as well. So Mm -hmm. that, that could be a helpful solution for somebody struggling with boundaries, but we have frank conversations with our clients of like, please keep all communication in the portal. If it has HIPAA information scheduling stuff, please email us. Gotcha. What other boundaries? I, I 
kind of want to ask you these questions since you're the one primarily working with clients. What other boundaries do you set with clients? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to speak to a little bit more of the admin-y type things. And then I want to talk about the clinical work and boundaries. So another admin type thing is accountability for clients to not cancel appointments and for them to show up. So we know that folks who struggle with eating disorders can be avoidant at times. Um, Also, we can be avoidant at times. (laughs) And with that, there can be last minute cancellations. There can be people just not showing up to their appointments. There can be people trying to stop seeing their clinician they've been working with for six months and doing it over an email out of the blue. And I think to encapture all that, it's really about accountability and about showing up. And so we do everything we can to hold people accountable because they need care. We care about them a lot. We want to support them. They can be really ill. And also it's about respecting the clinician's boundaries and knowing they have limited spots in their calendar. Afternoon spots are a hot commodity. And so if someone's regularly canceling in an afternoon spot, that's a problem because there are so many people that really would love to have that spot and will show up. And it's just not respecting anybody's time. So we have things in place like cancellation policies, which we are so fucking firm around. If you need a pep talk on this, I'm your girl because I don't know. I just take no bullshit. I know things happen. And of course there's case by case things that are super valid, but if someone just doesn't want to show up because it's hard, that's not a good enough reason for a cancellation fee to be waived at all. You were going to show up with them. It's a boundary. That's such a good boundary. It, that's honestly a conversation I have with folks quite a bit whenever um, whenever we're talking about like laying the foundation for their brand too. Like that kind of ties into that piece of it as well. Do you usually give them like a, like a one free pass and then be like, this is your one free pass from here on out? No, not anymore. Okay. I did in the cool. beginning. And I, I leave it up to my team, my clinicians, mm-hmm. if they want to or not but I really encourage them to hold feet to the fire because it's a respect thing. Yeah. You, you kind of knew what you were coming here for and to just decide on a whim that you don't want to show up today is, is tough and it doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit the clinician. And so I like to be firm and be like, no, I'm sorry. And and this, this came up for me. So I'm, I'm curious how you handle this from specifically an outpatient point of view, because this came up a lot. Cause I worked in residential PHP and IOP levels of care. And that is having to hold boundaries within conversations around the appropriate level of care that someone needs. And maybe that's even just like consistency or frequency, but that's a real, it's a really hard boundary to hold. But I think it kind of goes back to the accountability piece as well. But I'm curious how you handle that from like an outpatient perspective? Mm. This is one of the hardest things we come up against because ultimately TLDR, if somebody is very sick and needs a higher level of care, we want them to go to the appropriate level of care. Like if behaviors are intense, um, mood is not great. Things are going to go down. They're medically unstable or heading in that direction. It's not appropriate. And Treatment centers are at capacity a lot of the time. Folks have trauma from treatment centers. Uh, Folks want to do harm reduction and don't want to go to treatment sometimes. And so how do we respect their boundaries of what is 
the care that they want while also respecting our limitations as outpatient providers in not being able to monitor to the extent that somebody might need. It's tough. That one's a really tough boundary. And a lot of the time how we kind of navigate that is just having a treatment plan or a game plan and expectations that both parties agree upon. Because again, our clients get to set boundaries too. Um, Just because we say, oh my gosh, you need to go to a level of a higher level of care and they have some trauma for them to set the boundary and be like, actually, no, I'm not doing that. That's going to be really harmful. Like we need to respect that boundary and figuring out when those moments are happening. And I think that goes back to, and you use this word expectation, right? Knowing what both parties' expectations are to keep everyone as safe as possible when that happens. But yeah, definitely, definitely a hard conversation to have. Super hard. And when you are having those conversations, it's usually with clients with complex situations. Another boundary you have to keep in mind is like, what is your capacity for treating clients and what is your caseload? having more intensive clients usually with higher acuity means seeing less clients because that is burnout central. It's a lot of emotional energy to show up for people in the very best way. Like I'm not saying it's a negative thing. It's just, we cannot see 30 people a week who are really struggling in their eating disorder. And so boundaries clinicians need to reflect on too, is what is a reasonable capacity for me to see clients? definitely a great boundary to explore. Cause yeah, I I think a lot of the times people are like, Oh, I want like a quote unquote full caseload of 25, 30 clients. But yeah, you definitely have to consider the, the types of clients you're seeing the severity of eating disorder. If it's a combination of like eating disorder and disordered eating, like whatever, whatever balance that looks like that's going to support you as the clinician best. Mm -hmm. There was one last thought I just had about Mm -hmm boundaries in client work. And this one can go in so many directions, but the boundary that needs to be set amongst our own limitations around privilege of if there's someone at our practice that would really benefit from somebody with shared identities, being the one to set the boundary of, I need to refer you out. I think this person's going to be a great fit. I really want you to get this specialized care and have someone who can really support you in this. And I obviously really care about you, but I have limitations. And that's a boundary we have to bring forward that affects us, right? If we're thinking about business and clients we want to serve and being social justice advocates and wanting to show up for people and support them, knowing that's not always our role to do it directly. And sometimes we need to refer out, which was something I I learned from Whitney and uh, Shelby's course and support group situation was, was that like needing to refer out. Yes, that. uh, thank you for bringing that up. That's definitely a very, very important boundary Mm -hmm. um, to set with clients as well. Mm -hmm. Next, we wanted to move into uh, what boundaries and hard conversations look like with team members. This one, where I'm coming at this conversation with is I have one design assistant who's pretty, who's very part-time and then taking on dietetic interns. And so that's kind of the experience that I'm bringing into this conversation. I think one of the things that is hardest for me is that I am as someone who is like essentially in charge of my design assistant, as well as a preceptor for interns, it's feedback central. Like I am constantly having to provide 
feedback and figuring out how to do that in a constructive way has been a learning curve for me because I'm very, I'm very much like I'm one to like see something and then immediately problem solve it. And I've had to stop myself. Uh, and if my design assistants are listening to this, um, you'll know how I email you, but she'll like send me something. And I immediately want to just send like, Hey, change this, this, and this, but instead being like, Hey, thanks so much for putting the time into doing these. These look really great. These are my recommendations. And here's why. And being able to give that explanation as well. I've gotten better at giving feedback in that way as like someone in more of a leadership role. And it still makes my stomach turn a little bit every time I have to do it. Oof. I relate to all of that so much. And giving feedback is a practice, right? Like I'm sure in the past, I know for me, there's been times where it's like my feedback is you did a shitty job. Let's do better next time. And I would never say that to this day, but it just doesn't do anybody anything good when we don't have the thoughtfulness and the construction behind feedback. I love the starting with the positives and really sharing your gratitude for the work someone does and then giving them a learning opportunity of, Ooh, let's tweak this or let's do this a little bit different. And here's why, because then we're invested in our team's growth. And we're also modeling what constructive, positive feedback is, which is important. It's so important. And I I would say there's the modeling, the boundaries around or the modeling feedback and what that looks like of giving feedback, because yeah, it is definitely a learning opportunity, but I think even in modeling certain boundaries around like our own boundaries of like, Hey, if I'm going to, if I, you know, for whatever reason, have a burst of energy and I'm working at seven o'clock at night, responding to an email and either, either saying, I know this is after hours, please don't respond until it's a good time for you. Or I'll just schedule it to be sent out the next morning. <laughs> but yeah. because that's like, that's a boundary that I want to, and anytime someone sends me an email, like after, before, after like normal work hours and they're, and they name that of like, I know I'm sending this to you at an odd time. Please don't feel like you have to respond. Like feels good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's kind of the flip side of that is us not responding to emails at off times to model those boundaries for other people as well. And Mm -hmm. again, we get to decide when we override a boundary we usually follow when we have that burst of energy and it actually would feel really good to catch up on some emails or like we're in a grind and we need to do this. That's fine. But for the most part, what are the ways in which we're modeling work-life balance, not being on all the time, honoring different parts of humans that are outside of work and doing that for ourselves too. This might be a little bit of a hot take and we can talk through it because I feel like you and I are, are this, it depends on who the, who the person is, right? Like there are definitely people where I would schedule an email to be sent out later between you and I, I send you emails and texts (laughs) all the time with the intention of like, I know that Hannah will get to this whenever it is a time most convenient for her. I, I will let you know if something is urgent. Usually it's not, but just to get it out. How does that sit with you though? I've never, I don't think I've ever, I don't think you and I've ever talked about email boundaries 
Yeah, no, I'm with you on the same page. And I was just thinking about times where like, if you've texted me something that's like exciting about our um, business or an idea you have, if I know that it's going to get lost in my text or something, my boundary setting is, oh my God, that sounds awesome. Can you just shoot that into my inbox so that I don't miss this? And in a way that's setting a boundary of like, oh yeah, maybe text wasn't the best way because I don't want to lose this. I think it's an awesome idea. And let me give you an action item. And then in your head, you're storing, okay, when I have ideas, I'm going to email them to Hannah. Nailed it. I do that all the time with people because it just in like the, not with clients, but with team members, with uh, people with business clients, like it's a small space. We have each other's phone numbers. I'm so thankful we do because it's so fun to like send a coffee or text a happy birthday or check up with someone in that way. And it opens up this opportunity for someone to then text you with business related questions at any hour of the day. And I, yeah, I, that, I'll do that with people as well and be like, love this. Please email this to me. I will prioritize it first thing in the morning. Absolutely. And when it comes to like, thinking about being in a group practice setting and being a leader and being the point person that people bring a lot of issues to, I feel like our job is to model like what is a fire that you need to call me about versus what can be an email that I will get to you in 24 hours to protect everybody's time and energy and really help people learn what is a true fire. Because if it's a new clinician who um, doesn't know yet, it is my job to help guide them and show them and how the ideal way of handling it would be through communication. That's so important. And I love that they're getting that feedback from you as the leader, because I think that's where some people miss the mark in leadership. Not to say that I've never done this either, because I probably have, but being able to walk them through that. Like I know I'm trying to think, I'm like thinking of some past managers who like urgently text or call. And it's one of those, I know it's like a running joke of like, this could have been an email and like, but really it could have been. And so the fact that you have so much awareness around that as a leader is awesome. Yes. And I still fuck it up. Like I can think of times recently where I've texted, um, one of the supervisors at my practice on, as soon as I sent it, I was like, Oh fuck, I should have just done this as an email. What, like why? And that's part of ADHD and impulsivity and like wanting to get stuff done. But then I kind of backtrack and I'll follow that with a, oh my gosh, sorry, I'm going to email this to you. Like, please disregard, have a great evening. Um, So not perfect by any means. And I think it's, that kind of leads to the idea of respecting our team's boundaries too, of like respecting people working during the day. And when they're home, they're home to be with their families and focus on that or whatever they have going on. Also boundaries around expectations. So I feel like it can go either way. I'm going to kind of speak to it on the team member side and the expectations we have on our employees has to be in collaboration with them. If I'm sitting here and being like, everybody needs 30 clients on their caseload a week. And my team is setting a boundary of like, no, literally I'm going to die. If I do that, like I need to be able to receive that feedback and have a conversation, maybe a hard conversation around what are people's actual capacities, what is helpful, what's doable from the business standpoint. And that's the boundary I kind of give back. And then we repair and negotiate and figure out what's going to work for everybody involved. I love that. Yeah. Respecting a team's boundary. Very important. Anything else that you would share about boundaries and hard conversations specifically with team members? 
gosh, I feel like there's so many, (laughs) so many things I could share, but at the root of it, it is just about nonviolent communication and communicating your expectations, communicating when something's not feeling good. All of those things are for both parties, employer and employee, leader and follower. The last kind of segment we wanted to talk about around boundaries and having hard conversations is within our own businesses, as well as with business clients. Cause I think business clients look a little different because they're often other clinicians, but they're not team members. They're not eating disorder clients as well as what boundaries look like for our own work-life balance. I'm going to start this one off with my designated work days and times. And I was reminded of this today. And my intern also reminded me of this today because she sat in on three business calls this morning that I had. And I texted her in between like the second and third one. I said, okay, one more, like, let's like, yay, let's go. And she texts me after and she goes, I see why you only take calls like this on Tuesdays and Fridays, because this is kind of exhausting. And I was like, Yes. And so preserving that energy is one of the top boundaries that I have set for myself that I did from the get-go that has not led me astray at all. So my Mondays and Thursdays are my behind the scenes days. I don't take calls those days. Tuesdays and Fridays are my designated days for taking the calls, recording, showing up on camera, making sure I have energy or enough coffee (laughs) to get through the day. But it, it allows me to show up better if I know that I only have to do that twice a week. Absolutely. I was just going to say it it respects your boundaries as the person performing the calls and the services of not burning you out, but it also respects the boundaries of the person on the call with you. Because if you're not your best self and they're doing a paid service with you or um, trying to get a feel for what working with you is going to be like, they don't deserve to get like cashed out, Morgan. Totally. Totally. It's a win-win on both ends. One of the boundaries I think about with business offerings is, and I actually want to take a step back before I dive into the specific boundaries. I just want to name working with clinicians. Most of the time is a wonderful experience of respecting each other's boundaries. Like, especially in the eating disorder field, because we know what it's like to not respect boundaries and to feel like our boundaries aren't respected. So honestly, working with other clinicians is the best because I feel like it's not, it's not a thing to have to always check in around of like, Hey, X, Y, Z is happening. And my boundary is this. I think boundaries when it comes to business coaching and business offerings for me is my inability to say no due to FOMO. (laughs) Oh my God. I relate to that so hard. We want to do everything all the time. Literally everything and all. Oh man, you nailed that one. That one's not on our list. You pulled that out of your, out of your hat. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so true. Yeah. We override our own boundaries sometimes and it's hard because there's this element. And again, maybe it comes back to sense of urgency too, or scarcity mindset of, well, I'm not going to have this opportunity later, or, um, like somebody else is going to do it first or whatever the fear-based thought that's not helpful is coming up. And the reality is if you're putting yourself in a constant state of burnout, because you're not 
implementing your own boundaries. You're not having work-life balance. You are taking on too much. It is just a catastrophic event waiting to happen. And yeah, it's just no good. No good. Can't live like that. Kind of in, I would say parallel to that is being in a space, providing services in such a niche space. I know a boundary that I have to constantly remind myself about is the fact that what we do is so niche and specialized that I think that fear mindset of no one else can do this. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it. That's what my mind tells me. So I'm just going to name that. I'm like, Morgan, you need to take this project on because no one else in the space is doing what you're doing. Like you are the person to provide this service. And that gets to me sometimes because that's not necessarily true. It can be sometimes. Like I don't, there's very few people that offer as niche of business services as we do for the population that we do. Mm-hmm. I hope that changes. I think there's so much room for more people to join into this space because I'm not going to be the best fit for everyone and not everyone's going to be the best fit for me. And so there needs to be more people, but it's, it's that impacts my ability to set that boundary of saying no, because I tell myself like this person really needs or wants someone that can speak the lingo and I'm that person. Mm -hmm. I feel that at my core as well. I actually this probably isn't helpful, but sometimes I think about like, what's next as I'm like getting my, um, swing of things and all my different businesses. I'm like, okay, what can I do next? And one of the things I have on my docket for the future is wanting to coach business coaches, because I don't know anybody else who is doing group practice coaching specifically for eating disorder clinicians. If you're out there, please hit me up. I would love to collaborate with you, send you some people have a referral source. Cause I am pretty booked. My capacity is seven to eight people a week and I'm there. Yeah. I'm hoping to negate some of that with launching my membership over the summer where people can access me at a lower price and also in a group setting. So it's more efficient and I can serve more people. But right now, like there's such a need. And I always think about people don't know what they don't know until they get into this. And then they're like, oh, fuck, I need support. This is hard. Mm-hmm. And I love being that person. Like this shit gives me so much meaning and filling my cup. And I will do it until I burn myself out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to push my own boundaries to accommodate other people, which can be people pleasing. Coming back to that being at the root of a lot of this is if I'm the only person doing this, I don't want to let somebody down. Yes. Oh, yes. That thought definitely pops into my head too. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, same goes for me. If you are a clinician in the space that also does types of services like branding, marketing, web design, we need more people in the space. Connect with us. Send us your information. We need to create a referral source or a referral doc. Absolutely. And I'll add to that of we will need folks with many different identities yes. in this space. So please help us help you. We'd love to collaborate. What else comes up with boundaries and having hard conversations within the business? So <laughs> I feel like a lot of my boundaries, like I mentioned earlier with business stuff, always come back to me and overstepping my own boundaries. So what I see happen, and I've definitely experienced is trying to build things too quickly and not honoring the process. And a lot mm. of time when you're doing something like that, you're working really long hours, you're putting all your energy in one place and maybe neglecting other parts of your life. 
And so you're, you're pushing boundaries in a lot of ways and mostly overstepping your own, which leads to burnout and leads to resentment and leads to not wanting to do the thing. And so that sense of urgency with building something quickly, again, not helpful, but we can fall into that trap a lot for many different reasons. And I even think about like doing this podcast, I feel like we're doing a really good job of pacing ourselves and building something we want to be sustainable because we love doing this so much. If we had spent like the first two months of this all day, every day, just recording episodes, trying to like pump out content, it wouldn't even be fun anymore. It would just be, I mean, we'd be crossing our own boundaries. And limitations. I remember us having that conversation whenever we first started and we're like, let's kind of figure out what schedule would be best for us. Both of us being very hyper aware of making sure that we didn't take on too much too quickly and like tracking our hours and making sure our division of responsibilities was pretty even. And I definitely think that contributed to our ability to keep this sustained. Mm -hmm. For Mm -hmm. sure. But totally relate to the building things too quickly. I think that's what happened with the Weight Inclusive Business Academy the first time I launched it because I was like, I spent so many hours and I, and I still fall into that trap sometimes of like, oh my God, I need to like crank all of this out. And then I'm like, take a chill pill, Morgan. You can do it in smaller (laughs) chunks. You're okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I even think thinking that we have to work in that way deters us from doing things. Like you'll hear me mention this probably too often, maybe one day I'll start it on the podcast, but my insurance course that I want to make that's so needed Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, okay, I just need to spend a weekend cranking it out. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, literally I am so deterrent to that. I can't. And it goes back to the building something fast. That's going to burn me out. That's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be good. And it's going to take away from my need to connect with people outside of work on the weekends. And water my plants and hang out with my dog and shut off and do all the things that nourish me in a different way to respect my boundaries. Absolutely. I think that's also building things really quickly too, is part of like the new room seven. <laughs> Personality I don't know traits. what you're talking about, <laughs> but, but I think it's true, especially now as people, like, it's just very common for people to be creating more online content courses, memberships, things like that. And there's times where I am just like so lit up by doing something that I'll crank something out really quick. But I think in the long run, there's no way that that's feasible with every single project that I work on. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's forced, it's no good. And there's a difference between forced and putting a little bit of pressure or fire under your feet. Mm -hmm. Um, Forced is very much like that sense of urgency. This has to get done. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run myself into the ground doing this. Like, not working in your creative flow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think we want to leave with y'all today, just some examples of what boundaries can look like. And we're going to share these knowing that we are not experts at any of these, but it's things that you might just be able to add or keep in the back of your mind as you're going throughout the day and weeks and having to set some boundaries and what those could look like. Mm-hmm. So One that we alluded to earlier is cancellation policies. And I want to add to that is having a policy in place and enforcing it. Do you have someone sign a document? Yep. Oh yeah. It's part of our new client paperwork. It needs to be in, it's kind of a commitment 
on the client's end too, of like, oh yeah, I need to really show up to this thing in order to get the most out of it and in, in order to do the recovery thing and get support. And yeah. Second example of setting a boundary is saying no to things that you know are not going to fill your bucket, that are not going to serve you in the way they need to, making sure that you're being respectful of your own time and your own boundaries. Um, and as hard as it may be, saying no. Absolutely. And I want to add to the idea of saying no, say no and don't be apologetic about it. No, no is not mean. That's great. Yeah. I feel like so many times it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I can't. Instead of just saying, I'm not able to put Mm -hmm. my time and energy towards this project right now. And I think about this in context of clients and saying no to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I think about it in context of team members and having to say no to them. I have had no said to me by my team members that I respect if I ask them if they can help me with something or show up to this event. And if they, and I, I'm actually really proud thinking of this because a lot of them will be like, no, I have plans or no, I'm actually doing this other thing. They're never like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't do this for you. And I, I can't help but think that is what draws them to being so awesome and working in this space together is we all value that direct communication and know we don't have to be apologetic about it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads to also another example of boundaries is being clear and objective. It goes back to radical candor. Love the book. If you haven't already read it, we'll put it in the show notes. Definitely one of the top leadership books I've read. When we're being clear and kind, we are setting a boundary and modeling boundaries and being respectful. Quite frankly, when we're not clear, we're being confusing And in a way we could be pushing somebody's boundaries by not being clear. So it's really important when we don't do these things, it kind of falls into that category of um, ruinously empathetic, which also kind of goes along with people pleasing and it doesn't serve anybody. It leads to resentment. It leads to confusion. We got to be clear and objective in our communication. Yep. I, one of my mantras that I repeat to myself is clear as kind. It can be hard, but it's kind. Mm, Love that. A fourth example of setting boundaries is just for being respectful of everyone's time, both your own and the person on the receiving end. And this can look like kind of how I mentioned having designated work days and times. So you're showing up as your best authentic self and also being respectful that that might be the case on the receiving end as well. Mm-hmm. And going along with that too, being present in those times and really showing up. Like if you have a commitment to do work with a business coaching client or with a client with an eating disorder, be present, respect the boundary of you allotted this time to this person, they're paying you, show the F up for them. It's a boundary. And a great boundary at that. Another one is being able to give space whenever there is conflict. Instead of reacting, it allows you to take a step back, calm down a little bit, not have this urgency, and then be able to respond in a really thoughtful manner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the last one that we were thinking through is delegating and how that's a boundary in we can't do everything and delegating helps us respect our own boundaries. And as we're delegating, 
We need to respect what people's capacities and limitations are for our expectations. And that's what we have for y'all today around boundaries, having hard conversations and what that can look like in different aspects of the business. Thank you all so much for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please leaving, leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. We'll see you next week. Bye.